0: Welcome to My Life, Citizen, Applied, episode 312. Another wild and crazy week. Uh, If it wasn't the pandemic of COVID-19, we now have a pandemic that has hit the streets, triggered by a uh, tragic killing, senseless killing, of Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis by a police officer, created this national outbreak of protests turning violent very often, looting, crime. I mean, it's beyond surreal. And yet, we, the Jewish people, coming with Torah, and with Chassidus, as this program is titled, Chassidus Applied, are armed with a timeless and divine message, both for ourselves and for everyone in the world. I gave a talk this past week titled, The Jewish Response to Racism, Timeless Lessons About Growing Through Oppression. As a people, collectively and individually, We've been around since Avraham through 3,800 years. A history filled and fraught with every form of persecution, slavery, genocides, pogroms, inquisitions, killings, expulsions, discrimination of every sort. So if you want to know and discover a time-tested approach to dealing with all the worst possible elements of prejudice, all you have to do is study the Jewish nation. And we are here today, outlasted our persecutors, whether it was the Egyptians in the first documented institutionalized slavery and Holocaust in Egypt, outlived the Egyptians, outlived the Babylonians, outlived the Romans, before that the Persians, the Greeks, the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Spanish Empire, you name it, wherever we were persecuted, those persecutors are no longer in existence. Their descendants are scattered. And here we are, yes, still, Ma'at Atama Ma'at Amim, small number, 14.5 million Kayn Yirbu, yet. Have influenced the world and continue to influence the world far beyond our numbers. So we didn't just survive; we thrived. In the language of the pasuk, "Kashayano esam ken yirba the beginning of Shemais, as they were oppressed, they flourished, they thrived, they multiplied, they grew. Every aspect of dealing with the pain and the trauma of every form of persecution including, of course, just 80 years ago, the Holocaust itself. Study that, and you will discover amazing, remarkable powers of the human spirit in resilience, in hope, in growing through it all, which I would suggest every person on earth should study and learn from. So we have much to say when it comes to attacks. When people are oppressed or think they're oppressed. And how to react. I'm not going to repeat everything I said in that program. It's easily accessible. let's so go to MeaningfulLife.com and you'll find the entire program called The Jewish Approach to Racism. I have received a tremendously positive response to it from all kinds of circles, including secular circles, and including ones that are not even in the Jewish world, because it is univer- these are universal lessons, and it wasn't in vain. We ourselves learned much, I mean us as the Jewish people, and much to teach the world around us. And as I've been discussing week after week, since approximately Purim, when, the, when it first became official or first became apparent to us all, this pandemic, this mageyfe, looking and digging into Torah and texidus for direction, for guidance, for strength, for fortitude. This is what we do. We, always, we love it that life should be smooth and easy. Shouldn't have any of these challenges that cost lives. Grief. People are still in rehab. Challenged. But when it gets rocky, when the storms strike, we are well prepared. We have the resources. And we learn how to navigate. And this has been the central theme that I've been discussing because this is what is relevant now. What we learned from Teda, Meloshin, Heyra, Teda from the word guidance, seeing the Rebbe's always making it relevant and timely. I say it because though we've been covering all topics across the spectrum in My Life Citizen Supplied, but as you've seen, the focus has been on the issues that we're all grappling with now, whether it's personal, whether it's family, whether it's community, whether it's internal. And last week, I dedicated part of the topic to these racial divides and how our attitude should be, and to be clear-headed and level-headed. Something is wrong, you call it out. But that doesn't mean that we turn it political and everything becomes black and white. Yes, we all agree that George Floyd was killed in a completely reckless, inappropriate, brutal way. And whoever did it should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Nobody is above the law, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a layperson, whether it's a politician. At the same time, a response has to be also a response that is lawful and that is moral and civil. Crime is not the way to respond to crime. I think these are obvious facts. It doesn't matter how angry you are. We have plenty of reason to be angry, the Jewish people. We did not become criminals. We didn't go into Germany and Europe after World War II and loot and blow up cafes saying we have to vent, we're angry. In a country like this, there are legitimate ways to protest. But clearly, there are many, many elements here. Any wise, intelligent person knows this isn't black and white. It isn't either you're anti-Trump and all this is a reason to bring them down, or you're pro-Trump and a reason to bring down others. Unfortunately, this world turns into a very black and white, very simplistic, politically charged, with agendas galore, everyone trying to exploit, including the media, who are essentially an entertainment business now, each one with their party, with each their side, their, and the nuances of recognizing there's not a black and white right and wrong. There are things that are absolutely right, there are things that are absolutely wrong, there are things that need to be explored. The idea of just pushing aside all the violence in the streets because it doesn't fit your narrative is not only unethical, it's an outright lie. To ignore... What happened in Minneapolis is also inappropriate. To say that all police are, are, are uh, criminals, it's ridiculous. They protect. They're human beings, they make their mistakes, and some of them may be bad apples, and they have to be dealt with. To say that 400 years of systematic oppression, give me a break. It's a country where white or black, immigrant or, 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 uh, or um, native has been given opportunities. Is there elements of prejudice and racism? People are that way. I can speak, is there anti-Semitism in this country? Yes. But for a Jew to say that this country is an anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish country is ridiculous. There are anti-Semitism. Some of it is very deliberate. Some of it is more cultural. Some of it is very dangerous. We've seen attacks. We've seen killings. But the Jews have also had great opportunities here. To not be, grat- to have no gratitude for that. To not appreciate that. And just say, no, it's, oh, they're all coming to get us. These nuances, for some reason, are lost. I mean, it's very easy to understand why. People like simplistic stories. They like, who are the Cowboys? Who are the Indians? Who are the Boston Red Sox? with the New York Yankees? They like teams. But life is not that way. Ain't Tev B'Lei Rav. Ain't rab B'Lei Tev. Nothing bad doesn't have good in it. And nothing good doesn't have some bad in it. Till Mashiach comes, perhaps a bit before. He's baredu v'islab na'advar, and we'll get clarity. I think we have a role to play. Not a think. I know we have a role to play. I say we, the Jewish people in general, specifically chsedim, who are trained and educated in a methodology by the Rebbe, which a balanced approach. We go with our approach. It's not about my prejudices, my feelings, my lack of feelings. You try to stay objective. You try to look at every situation and analyze what's going on, what's right, what's wrong, and if you have a doubt, you go cool, consult with someone. This idea, everybody running into a corner, and I see it even, unfortunately, even in the inner circles. We have a teder, we have chesidus. It addresses everything, including an issue like this. There's a mission, it says. <speaking in> b'loy, <Hebrew> If there were no fear of authority, of malchus, of government, one person would swallow another. What does that tell you? That self interest and arrogance can end up being destructive to everyone around you. And you need to have authority, you need to have law and order. That's in strong terms. What is the fundamental, one of the fundamental, Sheva Mitzvah And the truth is, it's part, part and parcel of all Teda accountability, law, system of law and order, justice. Courts, police, judges, judges and law enforcers. These are fundamentals. Now we have to apply it to even each given situation, which I'm not going to go into right now. Just to have that lens, a certain clarity, and the relevance of chesedus applied is very clear. Chesedus talks about erein sofli finat simtum and talks about the loftiest and most sublime levels and and higher, and how we transform this world into a dirda but it also addresses human condition, the human challenges, and sometimes down to things that even, yes, even base elements. In Tanya Perikud Bays at the end of the chapter, the second half, where he talks about Moyak Shalta love, self-control. What does he say? That the same thing is been Adam Lakhavere. Take al added that interestingly in this in the madura Kama, and the first version of Tanya he added it later. And it gives a whole list. Tina, sina, when you have a when you have some tinge of hatred to another person, jealousy. And he concludes chapter 12 with what? The story of Yosef from the Zoyar. That great act that lives on forever. Then after meeting his brothers after 22 years, and they sold him into slavery. Worst possible thing. Father Yaakov thinking he's dead. He finally, they finally reunite. And the brothers see who it is. They can't even look at him so embarrassed, and he says to them with composure, with presence, you didn't send me here. Hashem sent me here. God sent me here to save you and our family and the world. Did he have, is he entitled to have at least one negative feeling to his brothers after what they did to an innocent 17-year-old boy? And the altar Rebbe brings in the end of chapter 12 that because of that, he was maivar al-medesov, what the Zayr says, what kind of rewards he received for it. But it was also the lesson he teaches us. Obviously, as the Altar Rebbe says in the that the person, like, like Yesuf said, the one who was hurt, that's the way God wanted. God sent you here for a purpose. And sometimes you find out it looks like hurt and may have been hurt, but it was for a greater purpose that actually helped save. The person who did it will be accountable al for choosing, because he didn't have to be the one. Making that distinction is a tremendous lesson in human dignity. You're never a victim of someone else. Things happen. That doesn't mean you're defined by it. Though we suffer, doesn't mean you're defined as a sufferer. And this is true on individual level, whether it's abuse hurt, any form of violation. Does it mean it's right? No. The person who did it will be accountable and is responsible. But you don't want to be their victim, not a victim of their crime, and not a victim of running of attacking them with vengeance because you're still then reacting to them. You want to be able to be yourself. Learn what you have to learn and become a greater person. I strongly encourage listening to the program I did called the Jewish response to racism. So, being that we are now, in the, today is the Tezvov Sivan, 15th of Sivan, which is the day when the Alt-Fridic was arrested in Tophresh Pei Zion. He would ultimately be released on yud Tamuz. So I want to talk about that. It's also Baal Zba'alei'sho. So as our custom, we talk about timely events, but also the time in which we live, living with the times, the parsha. I cannot tell you how many letters I received in response to the racism discussion. So I'm going to read a selection of, I can't read them all, but a selection of them all. And before you get into the specifics, let me just say, as in a little housekeeping and announcing, we have been covering all that is happening in the world today from the Torah and Chassidus perspective. The last few months, I can't tell you how many programs But it's necessary because we are living in a very vulnerable time. People sense it. We need security and real security. Not from the institutions and from the schedules and all our entertainment outlets and vacation plans. That has been upended to some extent. But from within, spiritual resources. So this is the time when we have to respond. And I say this not to myself alone, but to you too. You're not a recipient alone. You need to be mashpia. Everyone has their sphere of influence. This is the time, more than ever, you have to bring light to people, hope, a message. How do we look at the situation? That's why I'm elaborating. How do we look at what is going on in the world around us? When things are so disrupted, when there's such racial divides, and societal upheaval? How do we look at it? People need clarity. And with clarity comes also strength and fortitude and hope and confidence. This is when we need to rise to the occasion. In addition to the point that this is an unbelievable spiritual wake-up call. These don't come often. It's rare. Perhaps once in history such an event that's so global. As the Rambam says, we have to look what we, what do we learn from it. a wake-up call has to be responded to. When people are receptive and open to hearing a message, a message, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? When the outer lives, when our outer lives are disrupted, that's exactly what people are seeking. Those of us that have been trained, that have been taught, that have learned Tehid and Chassidus, the purpose of life, why God put us here, and how do we live up to our destiny? How do we live up to our calling? This is when we need to rise to the occasion. And if you don't have an exact answer, kindness and compassion goes a long way. A good, kind word. And talking to others, to perhaps get an answer. We don't have answers to many questions. But we can definitely have an answer to how are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to maintain inner control? Even when outside, around us, we don't have total control. So, with that, we've developed entire sections on MeaningfulLife.com and HasidahSupply.com with articles, programs, events both in-house that we have public, we've created ourselves as well as many guest appearances really covering the entire gamut, whether it's marriage and quarantine, whether it's addressing children, whether it's internal issues fears, insecurities, whether it's where we headed how are we supposed to look at all of this, the connection to mashiach And I've been doing this week after week in my life as well, going back to around Purim time. So we're talking now three months. So with that, let's go, it's, uh, we have the, the website, chasidahsupply.com. There you can submit in a completely anonymous forum, any question, comment you wish. You can also access previous episodes going back 311 episodes, as well as the essays that have been written, the wonderful essays written by people of all backgrounds applying chassidus to a challenge, a contemporary challenge. And this essay contest this year, I assure you again, we will judge them, finish judging them, and we will evaluate and announce the winners. We're making some plans to perhaps do it in a way we haven't done until now, so stay tuned. Okay. So let's talk for a moment, 15th of Sivan. 15th of Seven, as I said, the Friedrich Rebbe was arrested in Tov Zion, the year 1927. So we're talking about, um, we're now in the year of Pei, we're basically talking 93 uh, years ago. Yeah, Resh Pei Zion will be 100 years. So the Friedrich Rebbe was arrested, as we all know, on no basis, but the hatred, especially of the Yavsektsia, the Jewish communists, who wanted to stamp out any, any reminder of Judaism in the Soviet Union. And they arrested him because they saw him as being a counter-revolutionary, a source of strength, a source of hope and confidence to the Jewish people. Friedrich Leber refused to leave Russia, as many did then, because he felt the Jews are there. There were millions. Some say there were 10 million Jews at the time. In those years. They arrested him. And this would lead into a very sad and very difficult time because no one knew what's going to happen. They could have easily shot and killed Rahman al-Islam, the Friedrich Rebbe. They did not. And that's why Yud-Bes tamuz a few weeks later, a little less than a month later. The Friedrich Rebbe was released and became a Chag HaGa'ula. But as it is in the Jewish spirit of things, and as the Rebbe has emphasized a number of times, and the Friedrich Rebbe emphasized that even though the 15th of Sivan at the time was a negative, it ended up turning into a positive. Because once there was the and now we have a ge'ulah on our hands. By the Jews, there's never a negative that ends in a negative. A liability has to become an asset. So at the time it was a setback, a time there was threat, there was a very threatening, frightening moment, frightening days. But then he was redeemed, freed, freed the kareb, and lo'i oysi levad, Friedrich Kerebbe writes in his famous Tafresh, the next year, letter to you based Thomas, not I alone, but every Jew and Judaism itself. So it opened up a whole new channel, as the Friedrich Kerebbe says in the Sichus, a new channel of even teaching new, on a new scale, new scope. And it gave strength, because when you go through a fire and you come out, you're not the same, you get stronger. The Rebbe even says in the that he gave the power it broke it to It opened the channel that would help the Jews win the Six Day War in 1967. 40 years later. The Rebbe says that in the Siches of, um, of Yud Beis Tammuz, uh, Is it Yud Tammuz, Tov Shenchov Zion? Kislev, Ches. I believe also Yud Beis was that year. I'm trying to remember? I believe it was those talks. So those are powerful words. It's cited actually in the Rebbe Siche, that's Muga, Shlach Tov Shin Mem Zion. Right. So, with that said, Tezvav Sivan therefore becomes a day that's the beginning that would lead to Gimel Tammuz, which is sometimes cited as Aschal Gola, because that's when they commuted his sentence, the Fritika Rebbe's sentence from death to exile, ended up in Kastra and then it was completely removed, came back home, you'd Yud Gimel Tammuz when he was released. So Tezvav Sivan teaches us there's a story, there's always a narrative. Story doesn't end on Tezvav Sivan, it begins. Begins earlier even, but that's when he was arrested. The arrest ends up being a ge'ula. And The same thing with our challenges today, which can be far lesser than what they were then. Far more or less life-threatening. Even though each challenge is a challenge of its own. So that's lesson number one. Going to Baalei'scha. is one of the Rebbe's uh, favorite themes, if you can call it favorite. Based on the Rashi, right at the beginning of the Parsha. Baalei'scha is Haneris being told to Arun Godl, the high priest, Baalaischa, when you will raise the flames, asks Rashi, which is, of course, a question in Medrash, what is Baalaischa? You don't raise flames, you kindle flames, you ignite, you light flames. Baalaischa, I should have said. "Had ha-neiras. is the halah? Halaischa. Halohas Says Rashi, citing from Medrash, when the Gadol, Arun, the He was told, commanded, don't just light the menorah. make sure the flames rise. To the point that the flame should rise on its own. You see, when you light a flame, it takes a moment to catch. If you move away, it could burn out or never catch. So he's told, make sure it rises on its own before you go to the next flame. And that's why the word has changed. Asked the Rebbe a number of talks, especially Baal Iskhotovshinalef. which would be the last Pasha Balisq The spoke to us, till now. Why is it so important that he that the flame rise on its own? And let's say it burns out. So you go back and light it again. Says the Rebbe. The lighting of the flames is much more than just lighting flames. It's life itself. Chinuch education communication, the education of our children, of our students, every form of inspiration. And generally, the purpose of life is captured in the Meneda. We are here to be walking Menedas, to illuminate and inspire and motivate and empower everyone around us. That's what a Meneda is. That's what our job is, to be, Neir Hashem Nishma Adam, the soul of a person is like a flame. And using ner mitzvah v'tere'eh, the flame of a mitzvah, and the light of tereh, we illuminate our lives and we illuminate everything around us. So with the word, the change of bahad loke'scha to ba'ale'scha, telling us a critical lesson in how we should illuminate, how we educate, and how we inspire others. You can do it in a way, using education as an example. You share information. The teacher educates the student with data, with knowledge, with facts, with information. Asks a question, gives him an answer. The student. The teacher gives the student an answer. The student asks, the teacher educates him further. Then there's a second element in education. Teaching methodology. Not just facts and information and data. Not just I'll give you answers to your questions. But I'll give you the tools, the way to answer a question a method, which is far more than just facts. There are people who know all the facts in the world, but they don't have a method because it's about shaping the student, to be, a person to be empowered, to be a flame that rises on his own, as in the words of the Mishnah, talmidim Harbe." What's Vihimidu? You shall raise, you shall make stand many students. They should stand. Yilmadu talmidim Harbe. You teach them, you educate them. Because the goal is to make them stand on their own feet like a flame that rises on its own. Empowerment is the ultimate goal. Which of course is a cornerstone of the Rebbe's entire leadership. Chesidus in general, Chesidus Chabad. Empowerment. Aved the Yes, there's a teacher, there's a Rebbe. There's a source of inspiration. But the goal is that you should own it And rise on your own with it. This lesson is a lesson all times, especially after Gimel Tamuz. And including today, we look at a pandemonium, a pandemic outside of all sorts. If you only knew facts and information, then you may not have facts because we don't have those, there wasn't a pandemic in the Rebbe's leadership. So we don't have an answer. The answer, no, but we have a methodology, an approach. How you approach a situation, how you look at it, how you navigate, how you, make, how you make sense of what is right and what is wrong. And we have a teta that helps us do so. That's the lesson of Baal among many other lessons. So now, let me read a selection of answer of comments, including pro and con and different angles, and all in the spirit of chesed applied on the topic of what is our what should be our attitude to racism and to the recent violent violent protests. Okay, as I said, many many people wrote to us. But I will do a selection of a few of them, and we welcome all your comments, whatever they may be. One person writes, The bigotry of low expectations and respecting the dignity of every individual, not communities. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Our Torah has taught us that each human being is created in the image of God, the divine image. Each one of us individually, regardless of race, has innately as a God-given right, or nature's law, has the right to our lives, our liberty, our property, and the right to defend ourselves and our property. Each one of us has the responsibility to recognize the divine image in our fellow and respect that person's rights to life, liberty, property, and so on. The genius of the vision of the founding fathers, which you discussed last week, the vision they had for our country is one which respects the rights of each individual, they explicitly did not respect the rights of a community, other than the entire nation as one nation under God, indivisible. As soon as we divide our nation by race, communities, class, social status, and so on, we destroy our nation under God, indivisible, and instead of recognizing the divine in each individual, we get sidetracked with a narrative of socialism and communism, namely, focus on the community, quote-unquote our nations fall apart. Our nation falls apart. As a leader in our country, I call on you to champion the individual created in the divine image and thus individual rights, and not fall into the trap of rhetoric that seeks to replace the rights each individual has for the fake rights members of various communities have. Many thanks for your leadership and all you do. Well, I thank you for your encouraging words. And I believe I did echo some of what you said in last week's program. I also did another short program called All People Are Created Equal, as well as, as I mentioned, the Jewish response to racism and in the spiritual antidotes that we've been releasing, the three-minute short videos each day. Now, began a few of them are focused on these themes as well. Thank you. Another person writes, I smile because his title to me is always, um, I don't know if it's half, half sarcastic or tongue-in-cheek. Virtual YouTube mashpia of the techniverse, inimitable Rabbi, S- <laughs> Rabbi Simmon, greetings and blessings. Thank you for your weekly Fabringans. Regarding the founding of the USA and the founding fathers, the founding fathers were religious men, and their religion and beliefs were, shaped, were what shaped the USA. The very first public school law we have in America, 1647, was passed to make sure that students knew the Bible. This was to ensure that citizens know how the government is supposed to operate, the courts are supposed to operate, and make sure civil atrocities didn't get introduced the way they had in Europe. In fact, teaching Bible in public schools was recommended by the author of the First Amendment. Indeed, Bible was taught in our public schools, and one of our presidents actually ensured that it happened. The expression of separation of church and state came from one line in the letter by Thomas Jefferson in 1802, after the Constitution was established. Okay, John Quincy Adams, and he gives his birthday, July 11, 1767, February 23, 1848, was an American statesman who served as the sixth president of the United States from 1825 to 1829 wrote a book to children how to read the Bible from cover to cover every single year. He wrote that he himself did read through the Bible every year. John Quincy Adams also wrote that with regards to the history contained in the Bible, it's not so much praiseworthy to be aware of to be aware of it as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. In regards to our Declaration of Independence and the sentence therein, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What this sentence is saying is that our rights don't come from the government. They come from God. As government didn't give us these rights, government can't take the rights away. They are unalienable to us as humans created in the image of God. This country needs God. Our freedoms are based on his existence and our worship of him. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other This is a quote from John Adams. Likewise, quote, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God? Thomas Jefferson in Notes on Virginia. Conversely, quote, America is like a healthy body and its resistance is threefold. Its patriotism, its morality, and its spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within. Who do you think said that? Joseph Stalin, former dictator of the Soviet Union, one that had the Friedrich Kareba arrested. So even he sensed those three elements. I say again, it's morality, it's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. And that's how you undermine and destroy them, by undermining these three principles. It is no coincidence that, these, that those who deny God also seek to fundamentally transform the U.S.A., so I thank you for this esteemed writer. I, uh, I believe I touched upon some of these points in my program last week, in my life. I see because uh, there I did mention that the founding fathers were not necessarily religious people. they were deists. I still stand by that, Religions, the word "religious" has many different, re, very relative. They're not religious compared to what not religion is today. because there even Thomas Paine, even those, those that are so-called they call themselves non-believers quoted the Bible and quoted God. But that's not relevant to our discussion. We all agree that the word creator, as I emphasized then, is in there because it's the only way you guarantee it, absolutely, because humans cannot take away something that the creator gave us. Okay, another person writes, and I see I'm elaborating because these points are critical. You don't hear much about it out there. You really don't. Because it's become so politicized, it's it's like... This is what we should be teaching our children. And when you see things happening, you go to the law of God. And you go to the idea that every person is created in the divine image. And no one has a right to violate that. And if someone violates it, a person's life, they should be prosecuted. That's the law and order. Whether it's a policeman or whether it's a looter in the street. Okay, another person writes, Holy Rabbi, Thank you for your wonderful ongoing video lectures. As you have taught us, we live in Alma de Shikra, which means a world of falsehood and false narratives. Often it is hard to distinguish fact from fiction. There's an off-quoted expression, where there's smoke, there's fire. However, we don't know who lit the fire to create smoke and whether the accused arsonist is really the one to blame. Or whether another has set up the situation to frame the accused. In the case of the accusation of systematic police brutality and racism against the black community, the facts clearly demonstrate that it doesn't exist, period. Here's a like to a Heather McDonald article laying out the facts. It's in City Journal, www.cityjournal.org. If anyone wants the link, just... uh, send us a message with your email address. You and I both were victims of the 1991 Crown Heights riots. Those were instigated by the likes of the vile anti-Semite Al Sharpton. Others such as Louis Farrakhan, Jeremiah Wright, and Jesse Jackson stoked the anger and flames of civil unrest, violence, and hooliganism in the black community. Anarchists on the left, such as Antifa, funded by George Soros, should be Soros promote a false narrative, and seek to divide the nation by race and class. These false leaders need to be called out for what they are and the actions taken to incite violence and hooliganism need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. It is not time to be politically correct. It is time to stand firmly for the truth. Okay, thank you. I'm not necessarily going to comment on each one of these. unless there's something I fundamentally disagree with or want to add or subtract. These are readers' comments. They're not my comments. And, um, and I uh, obviously do not disagree with the fundamental principles. I've very stated it, that there is there's a, there's law, simple as that. And it's a law that is critical for any decent society to be existent. Number four, someone writes, constructive criticism. I was disappointed to hear you spend even one minute on your show discussing the recent riots. Does a chassid really need to know whether or not riding is allowed? We don't do, don't need chassidus for this. It's the most elementary level of basic humanity. Well, this I will respond to. Yes, I totally agree with you. But you know something, we all need clarity now, and people are asking questions, even people who are called chassidim and even people in the frum communities. So I wish it was the way you're describing that people are very clear headed and everything is perfect in our perspective. But it's not the case. So we need to spell things out. Our children are inundated and adults are inundated with all kinds of perspectives, many of them completely false narratives, as was mentioned. So part of this is to address it. There are many things that are self-evident that need to be addressed, especially if it's painful and it's timely. So um, I'm sorry to have disappointed you, but I really believe that this is important to address to the right people, to go ahead and go to a kindergarten of four-year-olds, well, there are no kindergartens right now, active but online, and start saying, let me tell you something they don't know, yeah, we're not talking about that. Or if they're chassidim? in their own little circles or their own homes now, learning deep chassidus, davening for hours, that should be what they should be doing. We don't go and talk to them. I'm obviously speaking on a forum and a platform, which those are listening here probably see other things as well on the Internet, including news. If they're only watching me, tava alecha, That's beautiful. And regardless, I believe that the truths of and siddis are most powerful when you see that they address even the falseness of this world. They're not in denial. We need to know what's going on and then be clear-headed to know what is true, what is political, what is agenda-related, what has other other um, other uh, insidious intentions masquerading as a so-called search for justice. These are important things to know. Another person writes, the founding fathers of the U.S. were absolutely religious people. Again, responding to my statement that they weren't religious. I said again, religion is relative. If you went then, they were not considered religious by the very religious, ultra-religious people. They were considered more secular religious. But religion then was a part of the culture. Everybody spoke about the Bible. Everybody spoke, and everyone understood the truths of the Bible. Things have gotten a lot different over the years because even the truths of the Bible that were self-evident like all men are created equal, even that is being challenged by so many. So it's far worse, but I just wanted to point out religion is a very relative word. The U.S. was founded on Judeo-Christian values. The purpose of the phrase that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are... I don't have to repeat all this, but liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence is to solidify that our rights do not come from the government, but our rights come from God, and those rights cannot be altered by a government comprised of human beings. Okay, this echo is very similar to another writer. I didn't realize how it's repeat, but fine. Okay. Question is how much more to read? Another, uh, boy. I'll just, I'll just, um, Read one more, and I'll save the next one for next week, if it's still relevant. The next one is a long one about the whole left-wing conspiracies and so on, which is important to address, but it's a long one, and I don't want to right now edit it. So let me just read one more, and we'll go to some other topics. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. It is for the second time, for the, in, the, is for the second time in the last few weeks You provoke me to oppose your point of view. Okay. And it's not from a different school of thought that these arguments come from. It's all about religion revisited, which is the title of one of the spiritual antidotes, I believe, of today. No, actually, no. Last week. Sorry. Last week. So this individual writes the following. Number one, we have long history of civil disobedience, but it's a big question of how it applies nowadays. Should we do it and start to execute our civil rights for religious rituals that have no evidence, proof of post-pandemic threat to human life? Or, we need, or do we need the police civil disobedience? Or do we need the police civil disobedience in, is afraid, being afraid of the escalation of a triumphant crowd of looters? Two, what relevance does the story of Joseph and his brothers have to looting of criminals that try to take revenge for killing one of their brothers. Should we see the looting and destruction as an act of God and not as malicious planning and attempt of the lowest of the lowest to destroy the greatest of human achievements? I'm not really sure how you understood it. When I quoted Joseph and his brothers, it was the opposite. It was a lesson to those that feel oppressed or have been oppressed, meaning in this case the blacks, that shall should learn from Joseph how he reacted when he was oppressed. Not, God forbid, comparing um, Joseph selling into slavery um, the the people who are looting. Precisely the opposite, that they should not be looting. They should, if they have a grievance, find a way to become a greater person or find a legal way to address the issues in the court of law. Number three, what connection could you find between slavery in Egypt and those African Americans in the USA where they have all possible rights and are free up to the point to become a president of that state? Was it possible for a Jew in Egypt to become a pharaoh? Okay, so here again, my response is, no, we're not comparing that. There's no question in this country the freedoms, and yes, President Obama, a black man, became a president, did not exist for the Jews. That only makes the case even stronger, that even in total oppression, the Jews still did not become victims. So how much more so in a country like this where you have such freedoms, and even if you find some racial bias, and there is, no one's denying it, and no one's denying what happened to um, in uh, in uh, Minneapolis to Mr. Floyd as being absolutely crime. So so much more so they should learn the lesson from the Jewish people of how to maintain dignity, how to grow. Number four, this disagreeer says, with all my unbridled unbridled imagination, I have doubts that these routes can be peacefully transferred into loving people marches. Do you believe that they can get your message about unity? 1995 is not 2020, and we have to follow your advice and methodology of religion revisiting. The only question, how far we are ready to go. Not sure exactly what that means, but I appreciate your comments, and I read them in their entirety and gave you my responses. And one final one. Should we be marching in protest? And should we do that on Shabbos? I think it's important that our community peacefully protest and speak out when police unjustly kill someone. My question is, is it permissible to attend a peaceful protest on Shabbos, assuming all we are doing is walking or chanting slogans or carrying a sign if we are in the confines of a valid ative? Thank you. Well, with all respect, um, do you protest every injustice Or this just choosing and selecting this one. I'm not sure why. you know how many injustices there are? I'm not taking away from this one. Is it your role to protest? Maybe there's many. And and even if yes, maybe there are other ways to protest. Maybe you should go ahead and spread as much light as possible among everyone you know. The Noahide laws, including for Jews, the lessons that Jews need to learn from their mitzvahs. Non-Jews, including blacks. And perhaps keeping Shabbos in the f- fullest way is the best way to bring peace to the world. What do you think Shabbos is? Shabbos is a day where we recognize God that created all human beings in the divine image. And we honor and celebrate a day completely dedicated to spirituality. No, it's not so appropriate. Even though halachically, yes, you can walk. But, but the spirit of Shabbos, the best way to protest injustice is to keep Shabbos in the fullest way. And to show love to your family to be with your community in ways that we're allowed to be nowadays. So that's my response. It's not a question of a calochal question whether you're allowed to question whether whether you should even be thinking in that direction. Now I'm not here to tell anyone what to do. There are people who are very sensitive. They see this attack and we're all outraged. There are many ways to respond to outrage. You also have to be aware that you can be feeding into in a protest to other people's agendas. You may really be very sincerely interested in protesting. But you could be used by others who are using it for other purposes. So we have to find the right and wise ways to protest. And the best way? Dedicate your life to reveal the divine image in every human being. Dedicate your life to show unity and love. Dedicate our lives to rise above prejudices. To not respond in kind. I mean, there's so much we can do to bring light into this world. And the Jewish people have done it through history, as I mentioned. And we have to continue doing it. Okay. Okay, now to move to the back to the pandemic of COVID. One questioner asks: Blessing of our Gremel after the pandemic. When the pandemic is finally over, may it be soon. Will there be any required mitzvahs such as the entire community saying the bracha shachiyonu together or benching Gaimel? The platform here is not a halachic one. This is a question that should be addressed to rabbis. I think rabbis are now wondering if it should be done and how it should be done individually or not. Because this is a magaifa that was a makas a'ir, makas hamedina, meaning it affected many. And there are halakhis, specific halachas. They have not ruled yet, so I'm not going to give a ruling. We all defer to the rabbis, each one of each community. They're also communicating with each other. There are people who have already said ha people who were hospitalized in danger and have said a have said individually. But whether there'll be a collective one or they'll be told to everyone to say it, I really don't lie. There are many different opinions on the matter. but Brochas are not taken lightly. You don't just make a brocha. And there are many ways also to show gratitude. It's not always through the brocha. So I'm sure we'll hear more about it. My question is about benching Gemel, which obviously we can't do during quarantine lockdown. Yesterday, a miracle happened to me. I was doing repairs under my car, and the jack slipped, causing the car to come crashing down, and I was able to move out from under the car just in time and avoid serious injury. Under the circumstances, is it enough that I publicize the miracle online and thank God for the miracle? Or after quarantine is over, will I still be responsible to bench Gemel by a tail? So now the question is not about the Gemel because of the coronavirus, since we couldn't bench Gemel because we couldn't go to shul or there was no minion or Kriya Soteta. So he's asking, is it enough just to publicize or after quarantine, am I responsible to bench Gemel essentially for that miracle that happened a while back? Also, I want, to add a blessing to the, I want to add a blessing to the community. May the same God who made a miracle for me make similar miracles for all the Jews and nobody should be injured in any accident. And there is a decree that someone should be involved in an accident. May that decree be cancelled and converted into a blessing for good health and parnos. Amen. Regarding the question, I would again defer you to a rabbi. Not because I don't have what to say on the matter, but this is a question. Whether he once says, if they were in a situation, they couldn't say it. There's a question of how much time has passed. So I would defer you to a rabbi on the question. The reason I read it, because I'm sure others have the question, and, uh, and please go to a local rabbi, authority, an authority, a trusted authority, a, a respected authority that can give you the answer. It's case by case. It's not so black and white. Each case is a little different. Whether you should make a and when you should make it. Okay. In the same context of pandemic issues, learning skills online. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm a bach yeshiva and I try to spend most of my day learning. Now that schedules have changed and we're working from home, I was thinking to make some extra time and spend it to learning something a little different. I was wondering if learning general skills is considered chachmas chetsenius. Expression used chachmas that are chetsenius, external, outer ones, secular wisdom. For example, what Al Tareb and Tanya Perekh says is metameh, chabad, is contaminates the mind. For example, public speaking, writing or video, video editing, etc. Just skills that could be used for both Torah and secular ideas. I definitely don't need it to make a parnasa, and also not actively to be a shliach, etc. Although even as a shliach, I wonder if you're, if, you're, if you're meant to spend some time studying these things. But the truth is I could have probably would use these skills only in a positive way and also immediately. I just don't see a point if it's a negative thing and going to be more destructive than constructive. Thank you. Okay, very good question. The question really is not necessarily a quarantine-based one. It perhaps becomes more acute in this time because we are home and maybe less opportunities and more opportunities to work online. Thousands and thousands of yireim vishleimim, meaning of Jews that are shem d'etetim mitzvahs, yiddish shemayim, work in computer science and programming in insurance Take classes and learning in accounting, in sales, in other matters, including law and medicine, even. So it's a not a black and white discussion. The Al Rebbe does say in Tanya there that if it's for panosa or you know how to make a kardem lachter, you know how to use it for tater purposes, it's a different story. There's also a distinction if you're learning philosophy or you're learning skills. Like, for example, to learn how to type. Even to learn how to ride, drive a car. Would you call that Choch That's like learning more of a trade. Not, that's not even a trade. That's just basic skills. Learning how to read, how to write. So we have to know how to distinguish. I would say, overall, I don't know the exact things you want to study, but you're describing speaking, public speaking, writing, and video editing. I see no issue with that. Now, obviously, learning teta, it always takes priority. Bittle teta is even one second. You can learn teta. You're not learning. It's bittle teta. But number one is, are you capable of learning teta that 24-7 like that? And number two, the place where you're at in your life, it sounds to me, to having such skills may be helpful to you. And as you said, you're using it for positive things. So to really give you a definitive answer, I would say speak to Mashpia, who knows exactly your situation. Because I don't know all the details. Overall, in principle, the distinction, I've made the distinction between different levels, what some is called Chochem's Chesanius. I don't know if video editing is considered Chochem's Chesanius. It's a good question. That should be addressed as opposed to, for example, studying, as I said, philosophy. But then you could argue, what about physics and mathematics? Is that Chochem's Chesanius? We know that when you learn Masech Te'edavan learn and other parts of Talmud, you need to know mathematical. But then you could be learning it from the Gemara. You're not learning it from other sources. Chosmos Chitzeny generally is Chokhmah that is divorced from anything that's holy or godly. That's his biggest danger. That's why it's Mittamah. So when you can learn Chochmes HaTedah, Chokhmas Hashem, God's wisdom, in Tayrah, that's Kedusha. If you're learning science and I'm not talking about science that goes against it. Basic science, mathematics, physics. You're also learning how God created the world. It's also God but the question is are you focused on that? And if you are then it's in the category that you that it's part of Veda Hashem in a certain way. Especially if you use it for that purpose. So overall this has to be balanced and taken in a balanced way and that's the general approach I would suggest. I've spoken about this at length very early on in the early, early episodes of My Life Chesedis Applied about chachmas Chetzanius, secular education. You're talking here as an adult. We're not talking about children right now. But there I addressed it all from the Rebbe's perspective about children and about adults. But especially when you're dealing with once a person's out of school or you're still in yeshiva, you say you're a bocher. But once somebody's already in the business world, meaning in the work world, Things change because if they already have a balanced and they have a secure life, they're not so influenced by the things they learn. That's why there's more leniency when it comes to studying a trade or others when you need parnosa. And as I said, you see my sadaf. Fact is that many, many frumi who follow Torah Allah have learned trades and continue to learn trades. Okay. Now, there's questions about tensions in marriage under lockdown. Let me address that. Hi Rabbi Jacobson. I thoroughly enjoy your talks, they are brilliant and helpful. For a while now, before lockdown, my marriage has been on the brink of collapse. We have, a great, we have great potential as a couple, though our personalities constantly clash. Though our personalities constantly clash. I'm positive with the attitude, let's make the most of the situation, which has both good and bad qualities. While my spouse is constantly negative, with the inability to put differences aside to make a good time, I honestly can't remember a time we had a good time. I get accused of not communicating or talking, which I disagree with, as is just they don't like that my spouse doesn't like my response. And every time we do sit down, it can't be nice, it jumps straight into attack, or this is what's wrong. Never can we just enjoy a moment. We have been to a psychologist and agrees. And he agrees, the psychologist agrees with points from either side. I also heard your points on Bittle, but it's so difficult when you're, always, when you're always put down. Every time it's always clouded by indifference or past frustrations. The constant yelling and unappreciative attitude leaves me feeling small, unwanted, and battered, to the extent I dislike going into my own home. As of recent months, my sadness and frustration has turned into resentment and hate. If I may, I don't hate my spouse, I hate what we've become with no light at the end of the tunnel i most certainly have not been the best spouse in the beginning i really tried but it got harder and more difficult as nothing seemed to please my spouse negative always outranked outranked and it was always pushed my boundary and always pushed my boundaries i always lost the argument not because i was wrong but because i yelled especially as it got impossible now that there's a lockdown and we often t- and we are often together more than before and it's getting worse as we are on top of each other all the time, do you have any suggestions for the current situation in lockdown, as well as for future marriage or divorce? And for me personally, for my own state of mind, and how I could improve as a person and spouse, thank you. Another person writes in the same family, and not the same family of the writer, I mean family in the topic, genre. My spouse always blames me and never sees my side. My spouse never sees that there's something that there's sometimes financial issues that I can't do with things that I can't do the things I wanted to do and it's impossible to confront my spouse because it's never taken well but then I then I am accused of not getting back to my spouse but our fights get hectic and I'm worried about the escalation of the fight I feel so trapped in the marriage I feel I'm losing myself and everything I once stood for as I've written in a previous question to you okay Every story has its own narrative, it's case by case. Yet yeah, we have general guidelines, and this is specifically straight from the Rebbe himself. Shalom bayis is single greatest possible thing. The Eibishta says, erase my name to preserve peace at home. It shapes the family and home, and it's necessary for the couple. You cannot thrive. You can't do anything without the brach of shalom Bayes. So you do everything possible for shalom bias. Now, we are human beings. We are biased. We have history. We have baggage. And then we have the history with our spouses that can get to a point, as both are describing, that it's out of control. And you're in a pattern. You're now in a rut. And a person can't free themselves from the situation. I cannot, reading this, tell and say that one spouse is at fault and the other one is not. It usually takes two to tango. You have to be able to hear each person's position and sort it out and help people come to a greater place. And that's why it's vital to have a third party. I see no way out of this without a third party. Now often, both spouses agree to that. That's good. It's a good beginning. But sometimes one spouse will say, no, you're the problem, you go to a, a third party. I don't, need, I don't need to be there. So I need to know the situation. I would ask, that would be my first question. Does your spouse, who you're having these challenges with, agree that there's a problem? Number two, are they agreed to go to a third party? We're not getting now who's the problem. Let's say no, that person thinks not that you're the problem. But to go to a third party, that you can get some objective advice and a trusting party. That to me is the first piece of advice I give you that must be done. You said that you went to a psychologist. Did it help, did it not help, I'm not sure. Sounded like it was, the the psychologist confirmed that there's a problem. But there's always a solution and people can always find a better way. Will it be perfect? There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Now it requires two people to have some bittle, yes, to not just be consumed with their own perspective, and be open to hear another perspective. Now I'm not saying anything that's rocket science. It's both common sense, but what's, what's critical is objectivity here. You don't need brilliance, you need objectivity. Objectivity that can listen sensitively to each person to speak. Best is to do it three together with a with middle, middle person, husband and wife. Let everybody speak, nobody cuts off the other. And the, a good third party will be able to sift through, help you see if there's a blind spot, may point out. It's all with sensitivity because nobody wants to be criticized. Nobody wants to be blamed for the problems. And though you're writing in a way that sounds like the spouse or your spouse is the problem, I can tell you, and I don't mean to be critical. It could be that you're part of it as well. Maybe you see it a certain way. You don't see it through his eyes or her eyes. And especially now in quarantine lockdown or at least semi-lockdown in some way, this is an opportunity. I spoke about this a number of weeks ago. It's an opportunity of a lifetime to really make amends, to really correct. But it's critical to get that fresh air. Without fresh air, I have to say it's like a habit. Someone tries to, someone bites their nails, they can make decisions from today till tomorrow. The, the wiring that has already become tevesheni, second nature, is very difficult to break. There's a wiring that happens. There's a... There's a certain rut, as I mentioned. The routine takes over. Very hard to break out of that without some extra power and force. God should bless you both. Be wise, be intelligent, think long term. Think about the moments you loved each other, or even now love each other. Build upon that and find a third party to help you work it through. Okay. I have some follow up, I'll do one follow up due to time limitations. I've been waiting to do it already for a while. It's about masks. It's actually, you know what, you need sometimes lightness and humor in our times. We're still wearing masks. I guess this is still relevant. Someone asked an interesting question on last night. (coughs) Excuse me. This is referring to episode 307. I'm going back to 307. Now we're in 312. Someone asked an interesting question on episode 307's broadcast, if there could be a connection between the time Moshe Rabbeinu hid his his face to our current mask wearing. It inspired a question I have. What exactly is the primordial spiritual energy called Arich Ampin, the long face? In this pandemic, we all have long faces due to our masks. In this pandemic, do we all have long faces due to our masks? is there a hint that we have to use or perhaps repair the energy of Adich Anpin in order to close the gullus and bring Mashiach? Interesting comparisons. As I said then, I don't really see a comparison between Moshe's mask and our mask. There's always some, I guess, some similarity. Moshe's mask was due to a tremendous amount of light, Karni Haid, that he assumed after he went up on the mountain, came down Yom Kippur, according to most opinions, and such a brightness. He wore a mask because no one could look at him. In our case, we're wearing a mask to protect ourselves. So I don't see the commonality. As far as arechampin, I would say the same thing. Arechampin is a long face, not in a negative way. Zoyerampin is a small face. It's basically um, in a miniature form, a structure. The parts of zoyerampin means a small face. The midas, chesed through Yasod, Chesed, where is called zoyerampin, small face. Face here meaning a conglomerate, a structure. Like a face has more than one element to it. It's not one sphere. No, it's nekuda, sphira, a sphere, a a A is a point. A sphere is a full-bodied entity like Chesed gvura. And a parts of many entities. Chesed Gvurah, it creates a face. Like a face, is not just the eyes or the nose. Then there's arechampin A parts of that is a long meaning, it's obligful. Arech is long. Long in the sense, it's not limited as it is in the midst of Zairampin. So yes, the word face is used in all these. We're covering our face. If you want to learn a lesson from covering a face, that through that you can reveal deeper dimensions like we learned from Purim's masks, fine. But I don't know if it's exactly that. And I don't know if I'd go there. It sounds to me a little too um, forced. But obviously everything has lessons. And by all means, if you have a lesson that you learn from it, great. Not a champion it wasn't a mask, it's the face Here we're talking about a mask, and especially a mask that's protective. Okay, now, is the urban legend true that during the pandemic of 1749, everyone in the community had two masks, one for weekdays and one nicer mask for Shabbos? But the Balshem only had one mask, but on Shabbos he would stretch the material to make it larger and more beautiful. I have no clue. I looked it up. I couldn't find anything urban legend or not, I decided to read it because maybe someone has some information. So if you do have information, please share it with me, and I'll share it with the public. And here's the final one, which (laughs) is a joke, but I'm reading it simply because it doesn't hurt to have a little lightness. If I wear a mask that has four corners, do I have to put tzitzes on it? Obviously not. But I appreciate the question, I appreciate your creativity in this time of quarantine, thinking of all kinds of interesting ways of stretching masks and learning lessons. Okay, my friends, good. So we've covered some follow-up. Uh, there's more topics, obviously, and I will get to them. Mitzvah Shem next week. So this has been My Life, It is Applied, episode 312. We're going to the second half of Sivan, and Hashem should bless, as it was like in the time of Mendel had a doctor in he wrote that the quarantine was from Purim to Shavuos, that it should actually be that way as well. Now we should finally be able to, in an unbridled, unfettered way, spread our wings, learn our lessons, become greater people, and actually to reveal God's divine image in each human being. Hopefully, we, yes, a lesson that we can teach to everyone. We never give up. The world was a barbaric world back in the time of Ramavinu, Avinu, back in the time of Matan Tata, And yet the Jewish people marched forward. And slowly, slowly, the position of Teda, the way to look at a human being, the way to look at life, the way to look at purpose, rose above the, 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 the natural distinctions we have. That instead of turning that diversity into divisiveness, into prejudice and hate, we create unity in a world of fragmentation. That is our mission. And we never gave up, even though we looked around us. There were cannibals, there were barbarians, there were pagans, people who behaved in ways that were atrocious. And yet, slowly, the march of history of the Jewish people continued to bring light to the world, and the principles given at Sinai and Mount Teda, three thousand three hundred and thirty-two years ago, slowly permeated society. That today we live in a far more kinder, gentle world. Gentler world. A world where, yes, there's the United States and many other free countries that believe in the fundamental rights of a human being endowed to us by our creator. That's major progress. It became mainstream, where once it was just a minority, the Jewish people, and once it was one man. So there's much hope when you look in the past. Things have changed, so we continue with that attitude. We're not naive. We understand there's darkness. We understand we need to be careful, protect ourselves. We know there are criminals, and criminals need to be treated as criminals. That still does not take away of our belief and faith in the human spirit, in the divine image in which each of us is created. Everyone have a very good week, a very healthy week. Stay well, stay safe. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. My Life, Hasidus Applied. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com donate.